On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll take another look to the year ahead as I'm joined by Dan Caladine, who's Head of Futures at Dentsu, and we'll talk and have a look at some of the trends that are coming down the line in 2023. We'll talk about some of the big and small trends around community, around commerce, and around content. That's Futures and Trends only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to uh, this week's Inside Marketing. And as I said in the intro, I am delighted to be joined by Dan Caldine. Good good afternoon, Dan. How are you doing? How's life? How's business? And how are you? Good afternoon, Dave. Yeah, life is good. Um, been back for, from Christmas for two days. Good, nice, quiet way of working into the new year. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, how was how, this week? I, I was back since uh, Tuesday, I think. Um, and it's been fairly quiet. It's hard to get going, I think. It's hard when there's a... The, the, feels like nobody's around it's kind of hard to get myself kick myself back into gear but yeah next week start afresh but it's been it's been, it's been busy and and how's life how's um business generally for you how are you? are you are you busy or or because you've done the trends that big body of work um towards the back end of last year are you are you kicking back now and relaxing or, or what's going on oh, well i was over the last two and a half weeks or so over, over christmas which was lovely but um yeah things are starting to ramp up again we're looking at what we need to do for this year i think there's going to be quite a lot of stuff going on Very and there's always lots of demands and with the trends there's always lots to do around taking them out to clients presenting them yeah answering questions based on them and those sorts of things as well yeah great well so first of all thanks a million for joining me um and it's on the the trends because you're on you've been on a few years now but it's all i always like to kick the year off because i do, I do find the trends are great um and there's lots of trends but because we you're you know th- these are very fairly focused and pointed towards the stuff that we do, as you might expect, be you know, Dentsu. So I always find they're they're my favorite ones that I read. So um and this year we we'll get into some of them now, but this year you've you've grouped them in, in terms of themes. So they're around content, commerce and community. So we'll just run through a couple of them and we probably won't do them justice and we, we can share the the link and if anyone's interested in, in reading the full report, which I, I urge people to do, we can tell them where they can find it after. But um, let's. I guess let's kick off. So you say that kind of this year, ad-based VOD eats subscription-based VOD. So uh, this come come up quite a lot. It's come up on the podcast quite a lot. So and I find this one really interesting because you'll well know that. Um, you know, I, I, some in some ways I find it hard to believe that Netflix are doing this because of how firm um, Reed Hastings' stance was on all this, and he kind of went as far as to say. Never while I'm in, in control will we have advertising on Netflix because the UX is the all-important thing and, and UX trumps everything. And yet, you know, I get it. Here we are. The market takes a bit of hammering and um, stock price falls and and it, it is what it is. You, you turn that ad revenue tap on. So um, do you think this was inevitable? Do you think that they would inevitably go this way? And others go this way. And, you know, I think TV, linear TV, no matter what market you're in, whether it's RTE here or Virgin, or ITV in the UK, they've had a tough time. Do you think this is now really, really a, a major threat to the establishment in the TV landscape? So is it big news and inevitable and how damaging is it or how much of a threat is it to the to the establishment? Yeah, so I think that's a few things. So I think in a way it was inevitable because I think advertising is just an incredibly good way for paying for content. So most platforms or most platforms over the last 15 years or so have started off ad-free and we think about um, Instagram, we think about Twitter and things like that. There was no advertising there. And then they took advertising as a way of monetizing, as a way of, you know, potentially 
be bringing in billions of dollars and things. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way it was inevitable for Netflix. Um, I think also you have a limit to the number of people globally who will pay the equivalent of 10 euros or whatever a month mm. um, to receive to receive a TV station. And I think there's more people who will be willing to pay for it if it's cheaper with a few advertising, with a few bits of advertising. I think also if you think about, I mean, you know, when we think about Netflix, we think about things like the crown and really high quality production value things. But there's lots of reality TV and things on there as well. So I think I think Netflix is sort of evolving into different things. And in fact, I was watching. Um, I've also got Disney Plus, and I was watching The Bear on Disney Plus, the one about the chef in Chicago. And that mm. feels like simply the sort of show that Netflix wouldn't make these days because it feels like it's much more sort of pure creative you know there's an episode which is a single tracking shot and stuff and that feels like something that netflix wouldn't do so i think advertising potentially fits in pretty well with netflix but the news reports so far and what we're hearing from colleagues is that it's not yet working particularly well for them they're having to give money back to some advertisers because they haven't been able to generate the audiences they thought they would so nice. so firstly yes i think it was it was quite inevitable and i think they will get it to work at some point. I think they have so much data on their users. They have um, a lot of smarts. They're very creative. They're very good at inventing things. You know, the technology works probably better on Netflix than any other streaming service. Yeah. And the UX is really good as well. Um, so I think they'll get it to work at some point. Whether it's a massive threat to people like ITV, I don't quite think it is. I think there's enough in the pie for everybody for the time being. But mm -hmm. I think as time goes on, as Netflix really gets its act together, and also, by the way, it's not just Netflix. You've got Disney yeah. Plus starting soon. I think, you know, there, there's stories that Amazon um, will be taking more advertising. There's stories that uh, Apple TV Plus will be taking more advertising and stuff. So I think the streamers will get into advertising in a big way. And over time, that could be a big threat to the established national mm. players. I guess the challenge would be how you know how ad tech plugs into that, and how you you measure everything and have a you know because the Nielsen television system is quite well, you know, it's well developed, and it, you can you can kind well, of you view can, and track you can everything. see yeah, you can see programmatic fitting into it quite yeah. well, but obviously, people used to TV advertising want better metrics than you mm. get typically from digital campaigns. So mm -hmm. you'll want to see, you know, how many people have watched and you'll want some sort of um, indication of who they are and things like that more than you do on other channels. Yeah, and what it adds on top of certain things. To. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, but but also, but also, I mean, it's worth saying that, you know, different markets use sort of move at different speeds. So talking to people in the States, um, they say effectively you have to buy connected TV in the States as a way of topping up linear TV right. audiences because there's now so much of it. So in the States, there are many more um, options for advertisers in terms of ad-funded video on demand with people like Hulu, um, you know, all of the all of the people like Paramount mm -hmm. and um, Discovery and people like that, mm -hmm. you know, with much bigger audiences in the States and all doing ad-funded video on demand or partially ad-funded video on demand. Yeah. So I think we're going to move into that sort of area. But then also, I think when you look at YouTube, if you watch YouTube on TV, um, you know, advertisers can now buy advertising specifically aimed at people watching YouTube if they're watching on a connected TV. Yeah. 
And so, so that's also part of the ecosystem with it. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It was inevitable. And you mentioned Disney Derby and, and lots of others. Um, apart from, say, the inserting ads as, as, a, as a precursor or pre-roll to content, there's other opportunities in terms of um, content, ad space. And I'm, I'm, I read in your trends that Amazon are doing some interesting things. So is there, is there anything they're doing above and beyond, say, Spot, that you know about in Amazon? And what, what, what are they looking to do? Yeah, so I haven't seen any any examples of this in in the wild, so to speak. But what Amazon are talking about is virtual product placement, where mm. um, you could get a TV show, typically something like a reality show, um, and then in post production you could add a product like a packet of something or a can of something to a table if people are in the right. kitchen or they're walking down the street. There'll be a poster that will appear behind, you know, there'll be a poster behind them, and it's done using CGI, so it's similar to what they use in, in all the big movies and things. Right, that's um, quite smart. But effectively, effectively, you're adding brand. And, you know, you could add a different poster in a different country or you could mm. add a different product in a different country. And so that sort of stuff is really smart as well. So I think there's lots of things that people can do around the TV ecosystem. I mean, I've even heard examples where, um, you know, again, characters are walking down the street and there's a, there's a car parked that they walk past and the car has been added post-production and again you could add a different model based on which country you're in based on you know so so i think a lot of those things if you if you start to think about um you know maybe something like the brands within a program as interchangeable in the same way that the sponsorship bumpers are Mm. interchangeable if you're in a different country or something um yeah then you can imagine quite a lot of interesting things going on but having said that you know i haven't seen any of the Amazon examples, any of the um, virtual product placement in the in in the wild, so to speak. Yeah, I guess. And when you take that further, you could even technology. You could you could segment a different product to you know a different user in the same country. So Coke, for example, might have depend on who's watching the same content. Logged in user with time, they can serve um, Coke Zero, say to males and Diet Coke to. They can segment that way probably in time when you when you get into it with technology because it's identified by user, which is quite I, smart. I think so. I think so. What what I've heard so far is that it's 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 for the program. So you put it in for that, okay, that particular yeah, yeah. program, and you you can't sort of change it can't based change on who right the now. user is mm. in the same way that you can you know serve a different ad to a different right. sort of Very a different good. sort of user based on what you know about them. Yeah. But I'm sure that sort of thing will come in Fine. in in time. Yeah, it's quite smart. Um, Gaming, we we I know I've talked about gaming to you for it seems like a long time. It's always a trend, and it's one of these things that like it's huge. It, obviously, it's huge, uh, but it's huge in audience and time and attention and engagement. But it's not huge in terms of advertising revenue. That that doesn't follow the audience. So, um, and I think one of the issues that gaming has had before is because when you think about game, it's funny. I don't think myself as a gamer. I would never say I'm a gamer, but I play quite a lot of games on my phone, and I still do Wordle every day. And there's games that I have a kind of tennis game that I that I play tennis clash but I wouldn't think of myself a gamer because you kind of think of the a console based gamer as being the, the the ultimate kind of definition of a gamer so but you, and even in in your document you talked about I suppose the 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 big landmark moments in gaming that made it more accessible or, or you know available to everybody so Candy Crush or Farmville back in the day um, and one of the things I think is a problem with gaming again is about how ad tech plugs into it. How do we measure? How do we attribute? What's the, there's no ad tech plugged into it really. So you, there's opportunities, but 
we can't kind of attribute a report or get full visibility. And I think that that's probably a lack of measurement really is a bit of a problem with our ad tech properly plugged in. So what's your view in gaming? Do you think it's going to, not as an, from an audience point of view, from an ad revenue, from a dollars and euros point of view and, and pounds sterling, do you think the money's going to start flowing in or is it, is it going it, to, it's still too early? And if you were talking to a client now, what advice would you give them in gaming? So I think I think there's a couple of things. I think um, so definitely the audience is there, and also the audience is a lot broader than we all think. So you know, again, we think about gamers as in um, usually young men sitting in basements yeah. huddled, huddled over over consoles, and actually, gaming is incredibly diverse. So we did a report last year on gaming where we identified six different sorts of gamers based on the motivation for gaming, whether it was about winning whether it's about relaxing, whether it's about sort of, you know, socializing with your friends while you're while you're doing it and things like that. And so there's so many different reasons why people play games. So the audience is definitely there. I think um, there are brands doing really interesting things within it, and we're doing quite a lot of stuff with brands in it. And there's, there's a whole sort of spectrum from, you know, in-game advertising, which is um, effectively part of the programmatic ecosystem now. So you can you know, within your programmatic ad server, you can say we'd like this ad to also to appear within within these game titles and things. Um, but then also you get things where brands are actually creating their own IP. Brands are actually, um, in some cases, you know, potentially building their own games or their own worlds. You see brands getting involved, particularly in things like Roblox. There seem to be, you know, like a different mm. brand every week um, getting involved in that sort of thing. So I think the audience is definitely there. I think there's growing understanding among marketers about the fact that it is incredibly mainstream these days, um, particularly for some sort of audiences. Um, but then also, I think you have this thing where you need to do a lot of work in making sure that the that the brand has a right to be yeah. within the game. It's not yeah. just a case of, you know, here's your brand of fizzy drink, let's put it in all these games, because actually it may just serve to be a distraction mm. you know gaming gaming doesn't really work very well with the interruption model in the way that you know mm. linear tv did yeah. and print did and things like that but also the way the way these things are changing as well so if you can somehow in include the brand within the game where the brand might be part of the gameplay or the, you know sort of doing something around the brand might give you extra lives in the, in the game or something um then that could potentially work a lot better but I agree that, um, you know, there's a bit of an education job done, job to be done in terms of, you know, explaining to people who the gamers are, yeah. explain what sort of audiences you can do, but also what sort of outcomes you can get from advertising within gaming. And over the last couple of years, we've set up um, a gaming, gaming division, a gaming department within Dentsu. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually getting a lot of clients now very interested in gaming and, you know, whether it be doing things within the metaverse or whether it just be doing things like in game advertising. Um, mm. So I think it's going to come, but I think it's one of these things which is less immediate than some of the other opportunities that are out there at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you're right. I think you have to, you have to think about how your brand integrates in a way that's kind of, you know, if it's additive to the gaming experience, like it unlocks things for people or or at the very least kind of native to the gaming experience. You can't just plunk whatever you were going to do in another platform into gaming. It just doesn't work. So we have to think about it as its own ecosystem. Um, 
Last, in, in terms of content as well, uh, you, you talk about attention in your, is one of the trends in, in your um, in your article or your your white paper, if you will, or your trends report. And I had Karen Nelson-Field on the podcast last year. And I think some of the work she and others are doing in this space is brilliant. So can you can you tell me just a little bit about some of the technology and when we talk about attention, what do we mean by that in terms of it's more than just kind of high engagement programs, how we measure that or, or, or some of the companies that are doing anything in this space. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So, so attention is one of these areas which is getting really interesting. And what attention really allows you to do is go beyond the idea of viewability. I think within over the last few years or so, there's been a bit of an evolution away from you know measuring ratings to measuring reach and frequency mm-hmm. to then measuring impressions to then doing things like viewable impressions and time in view and, and those sorts of things. And now we're getting to the point where because technology like um, you know, eye tracking is becoming much cheaper. I mean, I think the biggest change within things like eye tracking is that it used to be a case of getting people into a lab and, you know, making them wear something yeah. that looked a bit like a bike helmet. Um, so you could actually see when they moved their head, you could sort of see where their eyes were pointing and you could see the sorts of things that they were that they were looking at on the screen. What we're now able to do is to use the built-in cameras and things like uh, laptops and things like phones and tablets so that you can actually do these sorts of studies much more easily mm. and much more cost-effectively. And so what this means is that many more people have been doing these sorts of studies and trying to work out exactly what is making people pay attention to the advertising, uh, whether it's part of the creative, whether it's a particular placement that they're using. Um, and so we've seen a number of companies like Lumen come along, um, and we work with several of those to actually see when we do campaigns in different media for clients, these are the sorts of bits that they pay attention mm. to. And so we've done studies within things like digital video, we've done it within TV, we've done it within in-game advertising. We did one um, uh, towards the end of last year with Snapchat, where we were looking at attention around augmented reality filters and those sorts of things. And we're even doing, uh, we're even looking at attention around things like audio. So um, either working with podcast companies or working with people like Amazon who have a lot of audio content. So you can actually tell what parts of the advertising people are paying attention to, which, you know, what sort of techniques people make people pay attention yeah. more than other ones do. And what you're able to do, you sort of get this, this number in terms of attentive seconds um, that you've got somebody for with, with a particular advert or a particular message. And then you're able to basically compare different sorts of media to each other. So you can compare TV to a podcast using, oh, yeah. you know, very similar sorts of metrics. So I think it's a really interesting area. Um, and as an agency, we've been one of the pioneers in this area. We've been doing it um, since about, I think, 2017. So mm. we've built up a lot of understanding, a lot of case studies around this sort of area to the point that we're now actually able to model for people so they can just they can come to us with some creatives or a schedule or something and we can then feed it into the data we've already got and say um you know this is what you could be doing to improve or these are the sorts of this is the sort of attention you should expect from a campaign like this yeah so Um, again it's really interesting stuff that we're doing i remember that that work was with karen nelson field but back in 2017 i think it was i think so yeah yeah. Uh, i mean she's she's obviously one of the biggest names within it and she's obviously been um been working hard on things like attention and really sort of banging on for attention mm. for 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's great and it's exciting. It feels like, um, you know, I think we got waylaid with uh, with measuring easy things to measure and impressions and clicks and shares and nonsense things. So it's good to start measuring things that matter. Um, the second of the, the the big themes in in your that you wrote about is around commerce. So and again, it's loads of interesting stuff here. And you probably probably do a series of podcasts about commerce. Never mind trying to cram this bit into about twenty minutes or whatever. But let's talk about the first trend within that, and that's you've you've called that one from going shopping to always shopping. So talk to me a little bit about what you mean by that. I think I know what you mean by it, but just explain it to me as as why you you phrase it that way. And how yeah, so this, shopping is integrated into things more seamlessly, if you, if you will. So, so this line really came from um, a meeting we had with one of our, with one of our partners um, last year, where they they basically used that exact phrase, and they said, you know, it's less about making a conscious decision that you want to buy something, and it's much more likely these days to be scrolling through a feed or even you know, just looking at your laptop at lunchtime, suddenly you see something that you realize, you know, you could do with buying or you'd always mm-hmm. meant to buy or something. And then a minute later, it's in your basket. So it's less of a case of writing a shopping list for on Saturday, I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to buy, you know, sort of bread and bananas mm-hmm. and beans and potatoes and things like that. And more, you see this, you know, you see this stuff as part of your everyday media journey, but now it's a lot easier to just seamlessly start the shopping process. So it's almost like the um, you know, the, the sort of the the purchase process, the path to purchase has been crunched simply because it's so easy now just to click on things or tap on things or whatever. And then it's in your basket and a minute later it's, you know, sort of the ball has been put into motion and a day later it'll be arriving in your house or something. So so it's really just this thing of life or certainly the shopping element of life has become a lot more spontaneous. And if things are becoming a lot more spontaneous, then how can brands actually react? What is the sort of um, the digital media media version, I suppose, of the things you put near to the shopping till in that Mm. if people see them, they just think, oh, actually I could, I could do with some chewing gum or something. And so so you just add it to your, to your thing without necessarily have intended, having had intended to bought it, you know, even a minute before. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of what you know that there are probably price points, there are probably products, there are probably particular days of the week or whatever where people um, are much more likely just to add something to their basket. And it's it's about trying to work out what those things are for different clients and how you can actually um, you know how you can actually sort of create those moments. And from a from a you talked about you know crunching that that the the friction that's evolved in 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 buying or the, or the path to purchase as you said. So when you talk about you talk about shopping within platforms and and so is there a change in terms of because you know I can see something on TV and I go oh quite like that I've got to go off and search for it and find it and I'm taking yeah. I've, I've kind of gone off platform if you will. So this idea of integration is that what's underpinning this kind of facilitates this always on shopping if you will it's it kind of it's it's built into platforms and channels and programs yeah, or whatever so it, so it's becoming becoming built in and tv's another really good example of it and i think for the whole of the time that i've been doing these sorts of trend presentations and helping to write trend reports and things we've been talking about shoppable tv and that's sort of you know long been a dream of 
many marketers. Mm-hmm. But I think there are signs that we're gradually getting to that point. And over the last couple of years, we've had things like, you know, scan a QR code on screen, mm-hmm. and then you can buy things on your phone or send information about an advert to your phone from the screen. But now what we're starting to get is um, experiments where people are actually able to buy things with their TV remotes. Yeah. And so you could imagine, um, you know, if it was a well-known product, if you didn't really need to do that much research into it, if you didn't need to have to specify what size you took or, or something, mm-hmm. if it was just a case of, you know, tapping with your remote, uh, doing a couple of taps to buy something, there are quite a few products that we might buy that way, whether it be, you know, sort of replenishment or replacement or, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting and um, obviously the holy grail in terms of removing that friction between watching something on screen and and, and going th- right through to a purchase. When you, In social, we've seen a lot of this in terms of social um, social commerce. So, And it is still early days at the moment, but if you're, just from my understanding, if you are a retailer, if you're, I don't know, any, any retailer, you sell goods to consumers and you want to... Um, sell within platforms is, is it is it a bespoke build every time you do it or can you build a kind of do they all plug into your e-commerce site or do you have to build special storefronts within each social platform or within the ITV hub or whatever the case may be which means that they're all there are lots of individual um mini kind of shop fronts if you will with limited capability or can they all plug into your main e-commerce so site? It, it it varies quite a lot between countries i think if you're in the states there's quite a lot of quite a lot more in-app shopping, and most of the ones I've tried, um, certainly in the UK, where I've, I've literally not left the UK for more than a couple of years actually because of the pandemic and yeah. stuff. But um, most of the ones I've tried within the UK, you're effectively going through to a mobile site or, or something. Yeah. So, so some are quite bespoke, um, and I know as an agency we've been building shop fronts for people, and we've been you know helping people sell you know sell directly to things like instagram um but with other ones yeah it's a case of you know you might have something like a shopify store and then you would effectively have shop fronts in different on on the different platforms Mm. um but but effectively it's really about trying to make it as as seamless as possible um and i mean you know the ultimate thing is basically when they get to the you know, when they get to the checkout, you don't want them to have to put in there, you know, have to reach for their credit card and put the number in yeah. and go through all that sort of thing and, and put their address in. So ideally, all that sort of information would be would be sort of already stored within it. Yeah, to make it with payment, like and Google payment and, and Apple Pay and that kind of stuff built into phones and stuff, that's, yeah, obviously removes friction. So, yeah, again, it's it, it's it's super interesting and quite exciting times in media. Um which is great. And sticking with kind of e-commerce and re- I, I talked to, I don't know if you know Kieran O'Kane, he's um, from Exchange oh, yeah, yeah. Wired. I had him on like, or two weeks ago and he's very bullish on retail media and you, and you talked yep. about retail media in your podcast as well. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know, but then maybe a lot of people don't. It's basically, you know, retailers like Amazon selling their space, ad space on their own platform. Now, Amazon are a, jugger- Amazon are a, juggernaut, a juggernaut globally. Uh, but you've seen Walmart get into this space in the US because where there's revenue um, and all these retailers are media owners anyway in in, in point of sale in terms of they sell space uh, on, in some shape, size or form in a, in a physical um, guise. But to take that, it's a natural progression online. But do, do you see this really taking off in the UK with, the te- with Tesco's and that kind of stuff? Because I guess there's a point between the user experience of 
I just want to go on and do my shopping. I don't want to be hit with loads of in-stream videos or or ads. They're sort of, you know, they they their their primary purpose is to facilitate the the buying of your groceries if you're Tesco. There's only so far you can go with without creating a really shitty UX for people. So do you see it taking off to any to the same degree in, in the UK as maybe it, it's kind of even in the US as it has? What are your thoughts on it? Because you you you've called it out in your in your report. Yeah. So it's huge in the UK. Um I'm pretty sure it's not as big as it is in the States. I think in the States, it's potentially something like 20% of digital ad spend already. Um, but whenever you speak to the buyers, you know, there, there is a huge, um, a huge interest in this really for three reasons. The first is that, um, these sites really, I mean, the name of the game these days is first party data. So really understanding as much about the audience as possible. And if you compare a newspaper site to say, a retailer site like Amazon or Tesco or something, when you're on a retailer site, um, you're signed in, you've probably bought things in the past, they know things about you, they know roughly where you live or they know exactly where you live if you've had, had things delivered. Um, they they can sort of make quite a lot of inferences about mm. you. And so so they they know a lot more useful information about you potentially than you know, maybe something like a newspaper site would do. So that's the first reason. The second reason is by definition, you're close to the point of sale. So if I visited Amazon or I visited Tesco, I'm probably there either to buy something or to research yeah. something. So so that's a really good, strong environment to actually offer me similar sorts of messages or maybe even to sort of try to divert me to another brand that I might not have thought about before, mm. I, before I visited. And re- linked to that as well, they're fantastically brand safe environments as well. So when you think about social media, when you think about, you know, potentially things like Twitter or whatever, and you you might think, what is my ad going to be next to? Yeah. Um, with something like, you know, if you're advertising on the Tesco site or the Amazon app or even, you know, the Deliveroo app or even something like Uber, yeah. you're pretty sure you're not going to be up against something, yeah, yeah. some sort of dodgy dodgy content from somebody and then the final thing is that um as you know as a result of all that it's quite easy to show that the advertising is working because again if you think about advertising maybe on a news site or something if i see an advert on a tuesday and then i visit the the brand site and buy something on a thursday so much could have happened in between yeah, yeah. but if i'm if i'm advertising on something like um you know, a retail site or an app, it's quite possible that I will put something into my basket within a minute or so after seeing an advert. And so then it's much easier to make the case for, okay, so it was definitely this, you know, or it's very, very likely that it was this that caused you to change your mind. And so therefore you can see the value of the advertising a lot more. And when you, when you listen to, um, people at the coalface, you know, actually using data and, doing uh you know doing the very performance based ad buys you know they all say how effective mm. things like advertising on amazon is because um you're advertising to such a qualified audience yeah yeah you're right because it's a great point because you, you you're effectively self-primed to be somewhat in market or interested in buying something related to that category so you're buying you know i don't know whatever your thing is that you're buying a set of kitchen knives for you probably won't you, you won't feel bad saying hey you might like this chopping board or whatever so you so it's yeah it's really it's a really yeah and you can see why it's only going to grow and grow and grow um 
let's stick with retail for a minute. Apple, look, Apple's a phenomenal company. Um, they don't really seem to be that bothered about advertising. They quite quite make a good few quid off it, but it seems to be like, I don't know whether they just, they feel like they're better than advertising. They're they're kind of in, in design and, and beautiful things and they just they, they don't want that dirty advertising money. But I think they're, they're a bit of a sleeping giant in terms of that and Kieran O'Kane mentioned that as well. Talk to me about, you've called them out as well. Talk to me about the potential impact they could make in the market. Um, and and do you think that they'll say, you know what, there's money on the table here that we could be kind of mopping up in terms of advertising if we took it really, really seriously as a revenue stream? I think so. So when I when I was talking earlier about Netflix, I said, you know, the thing with advertising is it's a very proven way of generating revenue around content. And so I think there's always going to be quite a strong um, strong temptation to, to do advertising of some sort or another. So Apple has turned its back on it for quite a long time. But now that we're in this world where first-party data is really, really important, and by this what we mean is you know, sort of really high quality customer data. Apple has a huge amount of that. Um, and it has all the rich you know, people as well, you know, people who've got it, money. It has it has all the rich people. It knows so much about them. It's been, um, you know, it very much focuses on privacy and it's been spending the last few years trying to make sure it's as hard as possible for people to target their users. So it's quite... It's it's quite conceivable to imagine a sort of pivot from Apple where they say, well, actually, we're still going to make it really hard for third parties to target our users. But given that we know our users so well, we know the sorts of products they do like, we can definitely, um, you know, for the right sort of brand with the right sort of user experience, we can definitely make it, uh, we can be- definitely try to facilitate brands getting yeah. in front of our our users, and we started to see a few new ad formats within things like Apple News, um, mm. potentially on things like the you know the App Store and things like that as well. And there are stories in um, you know papers like the FT saying that Apple is you know actively hiring to uh, to recruit a really big ad team, or you know to yeah. to double their current ad team. So I think you can you can definitely see it. I mean, I I saw numbers that said that. Um, Apple makes something like $4 billion a year yeah. in ad revenue already. Yeah, I heard that's between three and four, at. yeah. yeah. So definitely it's not there. to be sniffed at. I'm sure, I'm sure it's more than um, more than quite a lot of other digital players are, are doing doing at the moment. And that's really without even trying. Without so even you trying, kind of think, yeah. well, if they, if they sort of, if they tried a bit, if they tried a bit, but not in such an overt way as to, you know, potentially alienate some of their users or something. Yeah. They could probably make quite a lot. And I think, you know, in this day and age, every dollar is really valuable. Yeah. And it could, I mean, they could probably even be quite selective, as you say, about the brands that they work with and kind of, because they, they don't need the money in them, but they could kind of step into this space, you know, with some control and who they work with and, and make sure that they're partnering with people that they think would be, you know, fit their, you know, their Apple consumers. Um, you also talk about the super app, the rise of the super app. So, and you, and this is kind of a, a thing that's just big and popular and successful in Asia, um, less so outside of Asia. So, for anyone listening, can you expand by what what that term means? The super app. What exactly is a super app for people who are not for, familiar with it? And um, what are some of the ones that are established in, say, Asia? And and is there anything close to that? Or you know, what apps that we might know about that we might use in in, in UK or Ireland are on that journey to a degree, maybe not to the same level, but certainly sure, where sure, they're sure. going. 
So, so if you know if you know the uh, the podcaster and um, an and academic and sort of polymath Scott Galloway, it's something that he talks about quite a lot. Mm. And um, the idea really of the super app is an app that has multiple functions. So, not only is it a messaging app, it's also an e-commerce app, it's a payment app, it's a ride-hailing app, it's an entertainment app, it's a video app, it's it's lots of things like that, and They've traditionally um, sort of mainly existed in, uh, in, in say, um, say Asia, but also in places like LATAM. And I think really the reason for that was when people were first using the internet, a lot of the devices they were using were quite primitive. So it was, it was sort of easier in a way to have one app that did lots of things than have lots of different apps that used up lots of space on the device. So I think that's really how they've, how they've come about. But also I think the, um, the, the the governments in those areas have allowed these apps to really sort of play in lots and lots of different areas without all that much regulation in some cases. So the classic case of a super app is um, an app called WeChat, which is uh, which is based in China, and it really started off as quite similar to uh, to WhatsApp. So effectively a messaging app, but it just kept on adding more and more features. Until the point that if you go to China now, if you don't have WeChat, it's actually quite hard to get around, get around and do things yeah. and you know potentially buy things in shops and stuff like that. So the idea really is it's kind of in inverted commas the everything app. So you only need to open one app because you can sort of do everything within that app. And you think about Google, you think about people like Facebook, they're all they're all sort of quite similar to that. But what I think is really interesting is the tier slightly below them. So potentially people like Twitter, potentially people like TikTok, potentially, you know, people like Uber, where you think of them as just one thing, but actually mm. potentially they're diversifying really quickly so they could be multiple things to multiple people. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we're starting to see, I mean, TikTok over the last couple of years has added commerce, it's added payment, yeah. it's potentially adding things like music streaming. So you can see it really just sort of diversifying, trying to get more and more minutes of its users' yeah. time. And that's also a sort of a quite a strong theory around what Elon Musk could be trying to do with Twitter in that um, if you had, uh, you know, if within Twitter it wasn't just a place to, you know, to post your views or to have an argument mm -hmm. with somebody or something, but it was somewhere where you could just easily buy something because payment was built into the app already or you could see an advert for something and then just one tap and it's on it and it's on its way to you um but then also things like you know mobility or something so you could eat very easily order a taxi through twitter or, or something so yeah. i think it's it's a really interesting idea but i think the 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 real takeout for for brands for our clients is when you think about a, an app like tiktok you might think about it just as an ad platform but actually within the space of a couple of years it could really yeah. be so many different things so you just need to be constantly aware of these things and monitoring what sort of changes these different sorts of apps are, apps are adding. I mean, to be honest, I think that's what Facebook is trying to do with WhatsApp. Mm. WhatsApp has a huge amount of um, huge amount of reach in the West. I don't really know anybody who has a smartphone who doesn't use WhatsApp and isn't, you know, sort of sending messages in groups and, and things like that. But what they've started to do is to allow you to message companies and then to allow you to buy directly from companies. And so I think there's quite a lot of scope also within someone like WhatsApp to become a super app. Right. Um, because 
they're already pretty essential in one area. Mm-hmm. But if you could establish some really sort of credible um, credible offerings around commerce or around payment or around you know getting a taxi or something like that, then yeah. you could see people using WhatsApp for more and more different things. Yeah, I get, I get. And what do you make? What do you make of Musk's? Um, you know, because he did come out. No, fair play to him. Well, I mean, he never won. He was trying to back backpedal out of the deal of owning Twitter, and he and I don't know his ego made him stuck holding holding the baby, as it were. But he did talk about that, as you mentioned, this vision for Twitter to be a super app. Do you do you think that's the direction you go? Like, would Jack Dor could they not have done tried to do this already? Would would Jack Dorsey not have been better suited to try and integrate commerce into it, given our payments, given that he was well, he spent most of his time at Square in terms of his his innovation efforts in there. So, I mean, I'm surprised um, they didn't look at it before when they had a, a, a shared CEO between uh, you know um, Square and yeah. Twitter. I don't know why they they didn't. So, do you think do you think it was that was that a Musk throwaway thing, or do you think he'll seriously try and is that the only no, way to save Twitter? I think I, I, I think he's so. So I think I mean we've talked a lot about advertising, and I, and I think um, you know advertising is a very natural revenue source for a lot of these platforms. But I think also things like commerce, also things like subscriptions. So I think Musk realizes that Twitter has to change. You know, yeah. I think something like ninety-five percent of the Twitter revenue comes from advertising, and you have to reduce that. You have to reduce that reliance on different things. You have to find a way to get the users to pay and stuff. So yeah. I think it's I, I imagine it's part of what Musk is hoping for from the platform. Um but you know it's it's uh I, I think it wouldn't be right for me to really say that much because you know part of anything the story changes every day mm. or the story seems to change very, very quickly. And yeah. by the time this came out, what I what I've said could be very out of date. Yeah, I mean I think it's a it's a fascinating sort of developing story as a user. I find Twitter incredibly useful. I find it incredibly, you know, funny, entertaining. I can easily spend half an hour on Twitter mm. just, you know, refreshing and looking to see what people are saying, what arguments people are getting into. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, like it hasn't that. grown quickly um, enough, but it's well-loved by its users and it has a, a, a lot yeah, of yeah. super users on there, which are, if you can monetize some of the super users with huge followers, yeah, it would make an awful lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. But, but whether but whether it's a fantastic ad platform is another story. Yeah. And whether, whether it's ever going to be a fantastic ad platform, you know, as fantastic as something like Instagram or yeah. you know, I I think it's I I think it's a very unique thing. But I think um and maybe it does take somebody as maverick as, yeah, as Elon Musk to sort of go in and break all the rules and try yeah. to you know, yeah. try to find out what it what it's really what it's really for. But like I say, um you wouldn't back against him anyway. You'd give him. You you'd pay attention to what he's trying to do. You wouldn't, yeah. You'd, I mean, yeah. he's you know he's clearly got a got a track record of success. Yeah. He clearly got you know There's deep pockets about him, in yeah. terms of trying to and, 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 I think, and rich and I think friends also, who want to give him money as well. People who and, would back and, him without any question. Yeah, and, and potential backers. But I think also, you know, I think one of the smart things he did was basically to take it private. So that removes the need for quarterly reporting. Yeah. So you don't have to say how many users you've got every quarter. Mm-hmm. You don't have to declare all your incomes and things. So it potentially gives the person in charge a bit more leeway to sort of make yeah. big bets and big, big experiments and things yeah. like that. But, and be brave I mean, it's, like it's, you know, I'm looking forward to reading all the books in a couple of years' time. 
about all the things that's happened at Twitter, but good luck to it. It's, yeah, it's inter- it makes for interesting viewing from the sidelines, that's for sure. Um, talking about, and the, the third trend was about community. So and we, we've touched on a few bits and pieces there, but the, one of the, the trends you have is going live goes a long way. Um, and we kind of talked about how the, earlier on about Netflix and Disney, how the, the, the streamers are starting to look more like the traditional TV people in terms of, you know, funding things with ads. And now they're starting to look a little bit more like them again in terms of how they, because they're, they're, they're big differentiating, the differentiating benefit, I think it was, was that it's all available. It, it facilitates binge watching. I just thought that was a bit mad in a sense because, like, you know, Netflix would give you a month's tree, a free trial. So you might just, I know people who got a, a free trial, binge watched everything they wanted to do and then dropped it again. So this this idea about, do you, you think you're going to see more and more of this kind of releasing content episodically or weekly um you think that's gonna that's gonna happen going forward because it kind of doesn't it miss that shared experience i remember it was breaking bad or whatever i was on season two someone else on season five and you don't have that kind of kind of no totally i mean i think yeah i think so i think there's there's a whole evolution around so many things like streaming um and i think one of the things that people are starting to realize is that one of the really powerful forces within this is the idea of watching something at the same time as your friends. So whilst, you know, the net standard Netflix model is binging, I mean, they've had a few, they, they, they deviated from that a few times. But what, what I think was really interesting last year was two highest profile streaming shows, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, one of the, 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 uh, the Game of Thrones one, mm-hmm. they both made people wait a week between episodes um, yeah. because they, because they realized that you've got more of a chance to, build an audience over Absolutely, time yeah. rather than to just to just drop something and anticipation so I, is huge in terms and, of and the, well, and the yeah. anticipation yeah and you can you know you can go online and investigate the theories and things like that i mean i think i think a lot of people still enjoy binging but i, I think if you have fantastic content then you can also sort of use the power of the content that you've paid you know so many hundreds of millions for yeah. to actually say to people okay if you want to watch this you're going to have to watch it on Thursday or you're yeah. not going to be able to watch it before Thursday the 17th or something. Mm. And so I think, I think there's a lot to be said for that. But then also with Netflix, you know, you see them basically saving the best stuff for Christmas week because they know that um, people are going to be able to spend time watching it yeah. and people are going to be watching it with friends. And I mean, I was on a call with colleagues um, yesterday, first first work call we'd had of the year and, you know, people say, oh, who watched um who watched glass onion and everybody had watched glass onion yeah. you know so it's kind of it's it's kind of if you can create these sort of communal things and that's also obviously something we had with the uh with the world cup so i think yeah. there's definitely something in that there's definitely something around the idea of trying to trying to get back to the idea of you know, Thursday night is the night for such and yeah, such yeah. or something. And you, you, you're um, right, and you create an appointment for things. People look forward to it. They, and kind of, you know, um, releasing it slowly kind of makes you want it a bit more. You look forward to it, you anticipate it more. You know, it's a pain when you're watching something as you well know, you watch it and you go, I have to wait a week for this now because you're so accustomed to watching everything whenever you want it and it's quite annoying. But actually, yeah, it's definitely better from their point of view, I would say, in terms of the audience engagement and the hook and also just the, you know, everybody 
no one's on different pages in terms of when you're talking about things. Everyone, everyone's got to be on the same timeline. So, you know, that thing we used to talk about, Dan, you remember it's the water cooler moment in terms of media planning and what were the shows people talked about back to whether it was Friends or whatever the case may be. What were people talking about in work on the Monday? You miss that when you release everything in one go. But but also but also you can you can look at things like you know the strategies that people like Nike and Adidas use around you know releasing a, sh- a small number of a pair of trainers on such and such a day yeah. or something, and it's kind of the idea of you've got to be there or you're going to miss it. Yeah, you know, you've got true, one yeah. chance, one chance to get this thing. So I think there's, I think I think in a world of sort of almost limitless content, if you can. Cr- artificial scarcity if you've got something which you think is so good that you can create artificial scarcity and you can actually do it then it's a fantastic strategy to be following it's one that Um, has worked for for years yeah yeah and i think i mean you know i think there's a lot of debate at the moment going on around um movie industry and things and about how have they jumped into streaming too much you know if you actually make somebody go to if somebody wants to watch avatar they've got to go to a cinema to watch it you know they can't mm. watch it on streaming, and so you know. So and, and with some films, that's not going to work. With other films, it will. But I think it's just really interesting about the whole idea of we've got used to the whole sort of um, you can watch. You know, you can enjoy whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Yeah. But actually, if you have something really, really good, you can actually start to set a few rules for the audience, yeah. and then the audience potentially could quite enjoy. Uh, you know, knowing that Thursday night is the night you get to watch a new yeah. episode of such and such or something. Yeah, true. No, definitely. You probably should see more of that. Um, what's live commerce? You talk about live commerce. So, what is it? And again, it's probably something that I think, as a from reading it, it's it exists as a thing in Asia. So, is it a bit like the super app? Um, what is it first of all? And do you do you see it traveling outside of Asia and becoming popular in Europe or the UK? Yeah. So, so live commerce is this weird thing. Uh, I think there's been quite a lot of excitement for the past few years. And effectively what it is, is a version of a shopping channel, but within an app on your phone. Right. So, um, so you know, I'm sure we've all watched shopping channels at various times and things, and people have been, you know, just sort of standing there live, selling the things, and you can see how many are being sold in the, you know, on the on the on-screen graphic and things. Um, what you get quite a lot in China is, and again, you know, going back to the scarcity thing of people saying, okay, we've got a hundred of these, who wants them? We're selling them live now on screen and stuff. Aye. And and it, it's all very, it's all very integrated. So it's been very popular in Asia for the past few years or so. And when you read reports of how many sales there were at um, the shopping festivals, like Singles Day and stuff that Alibaba do, increasingly, you know, a lot of the sales are coming through people selling things live um it feels like it hasn't really taken off in the west i know um there have been examples of both facebook and tiktok sort of sort of pulling back on their efforts from it and there was a story last year um about you know tiktok trying to force lots of influencers to be selling things within live streams and there were people you know who were spending an hour trying to sell things and nothing got sold in the hour and things like that so it feels like it's something where it might be more relevant to asia or maybe within asia um they were doing things in a different way they were selling a different sort of product or there was a different sort of offering or something in fact before christmas i was speaking to a uh, a western startup who reckoned 
they knew what TikTok and and the others were doing wrong, and that they'd crack the code on it. So I think people are definitely having another another crack at it. Right. But it's something that hasn't. I think two years ago, a lot of people, myself included, would have thought it would be pretty big um, already with things like fashion, with things like uh, like beauty. But I think it's kind of not quite there yet. Right. But I but I wouldn't bet against it in the long term. In the longer term. Um, on community and, and social, the latest social media app that people are kind of getting all creating a big buzz about is Be Real. So can you explain to anyone who's listening, someone told me about it a couple of weeks ago in work and I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, it, explain to people what it is and do you think that, because it, it feels like a bit of an anti-social media, like everything that's wrong with social media, you know, the Instagram generation and it's kind of the anti of that so do, is it a fad do you think uh and what is it and, and is it a fad or do, or do you think it's a positive thing do you think it will it will be so, so first so so firstly what it is it's almost like having a whatsapp group where you can only post for about two minutes a day so once a day a buzzer will go off on your phone and at that point you can tell people in your in your group this is what i'm doing how be real works is this buzzer goes off at a, at a random time every day, two time zones. So you know when when you join, you're you're put into the right time zone for you. Um, and so you so you basically see what your friends are doing, and at they see moment. what you're doing within that two minute window. Which which you know feels like you're living in the moment. Feels mm. like um, you actually see what your friends are up to, rather than a sort of airbrushed, yeah. filtered you know, this is the highlight of my day or this is a this is a wonderful dinner I went out to or something like that. So I, the idea, I think, is really good. I mean, yeah. you have to say there's no way, I, I don't think there's any way at the moment of them monetizing it. And also it's the sort of idea that other apps can very easily incorporate. Yeah. And I think TikTok has already incorporated it. I think Instagram um, may, have, may have been doing so as well. Um, but it's just the idea really that... Um, you know, it's it's something which is different. It's basically yeah. an app that you can only really use for about two minutes a day. But I was doing a I was doing a presentation to um, a group of new starters at one of our clients, and they were all in their early twenties. And I was talking about be real, and I said, okay, you know, hands up, who's on be real? And basically, everybody in the room, right. me, was on be real. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so among a certain sort of demographic, it has exactly the same. Or it has roughly the same penetration as something like Instagram or TikTok. You yeah, because it's, it's quite smart. Which, like it is, it, it just yeah. feels very, it's like they always say the simplest ideas are the best. It just, it feels, I could see why it would catch on, just how long it will be popular or or how big it can get. You're right, the functionality is very, very easily, easily copied and the, the novelty of it, um, I don't know. But you, 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 I don't know whether that would work on Instagram because it's, it's, it's exactly what Instagram is not. So I don't know how, how functionality, I mean, Snap survived for a long time while its functionality was, was basically robbed by everybody else and it still kind of survived yeah. and innovated. Maybe you can innovate, but yeah, it is a really, yeah, it's a, I can see why people are into it because it's, it's of the moment. It's, it's kind of, yeah, it's really smart little idea, I have to say. Um, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. Can you just no. explain to me what, what, and this is your your phrase from your document, the TikTokization <laughs> of social algorithms. What does that mean? Well, I think I know what it means, but what what do you mean by it? Because you refer to it in, as a trend. So yeah, so 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 for the final trend, I mean, um, again, something I think is really fascinating over the last year or so is that, or you know, maybe less less time than that, is how much social media apps have changed. Um, 
I mean, social media apps used to be very much about who you were following and who was following you. And the trick that Instagram brought when Instagram really sort of started to go get massive, uh, um, you know, about three years ago or so, um, was it really didn't matter who you followed. They just mm. wanted to show you the best content. So if you download Twitter for the first time, you've got to basically do quite a lot of homework. You've got to find a lot of people to follow. Yeah, You've then got to, you know, and, and it's quite hard to spend quite a lot of time on Twitter the first time you download it. If you download TikTok, you can spend an hour the first time you download yeah, it because you more just want ideas, to yeah. the content or more. Yeah. And, and so the whole point is, it's much less important who you follow and who follows you. And it's yeah. much more about showing you both content which fits your interests, which it finds out through seeing what sort of videos you watch all the way through to the end, what sort of videos you like, what sort of videos you comment on. Um, and then it can just basically show you more of those. Um, and so what we've seen over the last six months or so is other apps, particularly Instagram, particularly Twitter, really ramping up the power of their algorithms. So it's, you know, you do by and large still see content from the accounts you follow, but increasingly you see more and more content from accounts that you don't follow. And it puts little things up saying, you know, three of your friends like this tweet, so therefore, you know, so the implication is you're likely to like it as well. And, you know, it actually works pretty well. But what it means is that um, the TikTokization of social media is the idea that, Followers are much less important than they used to be, and creativity and relevance is much more important than it used to be, which is probably a good thing. You know, yeah, it's, it's probably yeah. for the good. So, as a user, what it means is you see, you see the funny stuff, you see the good stuff, you see the beautiful stuff, you see the really relevant and engaging stuff, the really shocking, surprising stuff, and it really doesn't matter whether it's your friends who posted it or your, you know, people you're following who posted it. So, what it means as an advertiser is your content whether it be organic content or the adverts that you're paying for people to see have to compete with this content because mm -hmm. otherwise people either aren't going to see it because it's not going to get shown to them in the algorithm or if it is shown to them because you've advertised and you've paid them to see it um, they're just going to scroll oh, through yeah. it really quickly because they're going to want the next you know amazing dance video or mm. you know amazing fail video or funny joke about you know whatever was in the news today or something so it's really just an, a, a sort of an understanding that social media has changed massively mm. um, over a short period of time and brands need to change how they operate on social media mm. the sorts of things they do the sorts of strategies they use and it you know involves using things like um you know using influencers to help create your content because you know they they are popular by definition because they understand how the platforms work. Yeah. And they're good at creating sort of content that the platforms that work. The travels, yeah. That the platforms want. Yeah. Mm. Um so it's really so it's 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 really all about that. And I and I think I think that's fascinating. And I think also um it's just an indication of how, how quickly would well, two things really. One is how quickly the media is capable of changing, but also the idea that um everybody is really after every dollar everybody is really yeah. after every minute of your attention as i said you know we're, we're at a time when there's sort of almost infinite content in that it would be impossible to watch all of netflix definitely impossible to watch all of youtube definitely mm. impossible to watch all the tiktok and stuff so 
because there because there's so much stuff out there you've got to you know consumers have to prioritize how they use their time how you know which platforms they choose to be on and it's almost like a death match between mm. between the different platforms so they're all trying to optimize to what appears to be working and what appears to be working best at the moment is tiktok's algorithm yeah yeah it's phenomenal like it's just yeah it is it's it, you lose so just hours gone by when you're and you know, you know I better stop and it just it just keeps you hooked in it's incredible <laughs> the algorithm is um, well I try I try not to I, I I try to limit myself on TikTok yeah um, because I just know it'd be too dangerous yeah and I only I, I only downloaded it because I was like oh yeah everyone I, whatever last year two years ago everyone's talking about TikTok I, I, I just got to have a look at it I'm not going to do anything on it and I just, and then I found I was using it. No, I just use it just as a passive user, just kind of just the stuff it is. Yeah, as yeah. low as I even, because I'm in, and it knows what I'm into. It knows I'm interested in stuff that I didn't think I was interested in, like life hacks and all this kind of stuff. I love all that stuff. And I didn't realize I did until TikTok kind of made me realize it. So um, there's lots of stuff in there. There's lots of trends. When you think a lot of these, if you're somebody in marketing listening, um, you have to, be global. It's hard to do a lot of these things on a, on a very local level. Like even when we talked, we talked about the metaverse last year. It's not something we're going to do at a local level. You got to do these things at a kind of a, a global brand directive level. So, given a lot of the a lot of the trends that you have in there, can you give me your what are the one or two or three? Because new year, um, try new things, test and learn, all that kind of of thing. So, could you give me one or two or three? What are your your top things you would advise clients, particularly clients who may be in smaller markets, like if it's UK only clients, so that would you know Nike UK or or even somebody in Ireland. What are the things you would advise a client to test? To I think yeah. So I think I think the three the three would be really just to sort of test different sorts of strategies on social media. So test trying to make social media posts a lot more creative or trying to you know respond to memes or create memes or something that will really um you know potentially potentially look a little bit different to the sort of thing mm -hmm. you've been doing sort of thing you've been doing for another one would be dipping a toe with retail media so right. there's lots of different categories of retail media it's not just amazon and tesco and things it's also as I say people like deliveroo people like um people like uber and then also i think the other one is always shopping so trying to work out how you know we'll try to work out if there are sorts of spontaneous products or spontaneous prices that you've got that you could potentially use and you can try to sell through some of the social platforms or you know try to work out the sort of thing that your audience would be interested in buying and how easy it is to actually allow them to buy things directly right okay well dan um sorry we had a bit of a technical problem starting off we were a bit delayed we couldn't have sound so i kept you longer than i wanted to but i really appreciate you taking the time and um yeah and i, I love you it's scary how quickly i get your trend support and i realize that another year has passed it comes around so quickly um it only felt like a couple of weeks ago i had you on talking about the trend support before but look it's always i, I always look forward to it and i know we send it to clients and clients, it's very well received. They really like it. And we Fantastic. rob, well, I rob some stuff and pretend it was mine half the time when I'm doing presentations. So it's, <laughs> it's very useful. It gets, it gets repurposed in lots of different guises. Um, I can attach it as a, as a kind of link to the Irish Times article, but if anyone's listening and they, where can they find it? Is it in, is it in, in public circulation? Where can they get it or where, if they wanted to ask yeah, so about it? If, if you just, if you just search for Dentsu 2023 trends, you should, find it as simple as pretty that. easily um we've all i mean we've also we've also posted it onto our social feeds and stuff yeah and we'll be sending um, it to clients as well so 
But we have seen yeah, so, designs. So but sorry, I, but yeah. I think but but I think whatever search engine you use, if you search Dentsu twenty twenty three trends, you, should, um, find you should find it quite easily. I'd hope so, or else we're not very good at doing our own job. So hopefully, hopefully we are optimizing for people to find it ourselves as we're in that business. So you'd hope that we, it can be found easy. Well, Dan, it was a pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed it. So thanks, and have a it's Friday. Have a good weekend and uh, have a good time. And first week back, we're recording the first week back. So um, it was painful for me. So um, you know, it was nice to have this chat to round off the week. So thanks. Thanks a million for joining me. Thanks, um, Dave. No problem. And if you enjoyed that episode, why not listen back to some of our other amazing evergreen episodes? You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Thanks to Andrea on sound, who's got a new baby, so he's knee deep in nappies, and to Kira in marketing. And thanks, as always, to our friends and partners, the Irish Times Media Solutions. So until next time, stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Thank you.